I want to tell you a story. And it's a story about a contractor. And the contractor was asked to come to a man's house. And this owner, rather wealthy man, said, I want you to build me a house, large house. And it is going to require exactly 10,000 bricks to build this house. I have it all. And he lays out the blueprint of it. And he's, this is how it's, it's going to take exactly 10,000, not 9,999, not 10,001. It's going to take exactly 10,000 bricks. I'm going to go on vacation for three months. When I come back, I expect the house to be built with how many? 10,000 bricks. That's right. So the guy goes off on vacation, has a great time, comes back and the house is built. And he, he said, this is, this is great. And he sees over on the ground, a little ways from him, a brick laying on the ground. And he looks at the guy and he says, I don't understand this. And the guy said, well, I just didn't need 10,000 bricks. And he says, but I insisted, 10,000 bricks. And the guy and the owner reaches down, grabs the brick, and he throws it up into the air. You, you, you didn't get, you didn't get that. Okay, well, okay, L let me try another one on you, okay? Here we go. Maybe it just takes a little while for me to get going, okay? So there's two people on an airplane. Are you with me now? Nod your head, you're with me. Okay, great. You're with me. It's two people on an airplane. There's a, a young lady sitting next to the window, and there's an older gentleman puffing away on a cigar. Now, this is back in the days where I guess maybe you could do this. And she looks over and he's very polite while he's holding his toy poodle, right? Very politely asks the older gentleman, I'm sorry, but that smoke is bothering me. Could you not smoke next to me? And he looks at her like, who died and made you God, right? He keeps smoking away, and <laughs> she starts coughing, and she says, sir, I'm sorry, but could you just put out that cigarette? It's, it's really hard. And he looks at her, and he blows the smoke up into the air, and he keeps smoking. And he takes, he refuses to comply, and she asks one more time, please, sir, can you put out that cigarette? And he reaches... And he takes one more big puff on that cigar, and she is furious. And she reaches over and grabs the, grabs the cigar, punches out the airplane window, and throws the cigar out the window. And looks back at him like, see, I told you I meant business. And he blows the smoke in her face. And she is infuriated. And she looks around, and she grabs his two toy poodle and throws the poodle out the window. <sighs> And she's struck with horror with what she did. And of course, so is he. And they both turn and look out the window. And you know what they see? They see the poodle sitting on the wing of the airplane. But guess what's in his mouth? Not the cigar, the brick. There we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're thinking, wow, pastor, where did you get that? Really? Now, the reason why at least some of you thought that last joke was funny was not because the poodle was sitting on the wing of the airplane, not even because the brick was in his mouth, but it is because it was a surprise to you. Unexpected, right? At least I hope it was. Some of you already heard the joke, and so you didn't laugh. Fine. But I want to share with you some stories about Jesus. And Jesus does something very unexpected. Not that it's funny, but that it's very unexpected. And it's a real attention getter, so much so that there are some people who are gathered around listening very intently while he's teaching, and they become infuriated with him. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And this thing that Jesus does is actually the very core and very center of what Mark wants us to see about Jesus 
And we're going to read two stories, and it carries over into that next story. Now, so far, we have learned from the book of Mark in this series entitled Some Good News, we have seen that Jesus is the Son of God, meaning that he's God, but he is also the Son of God, and therefore, he is in intimate relationship with the Father, and by, it, and by being so intimate with the Father, the Spirit has anointed him without limit. Now, last week, we realized, came to this conclusion that Jesus has all authority. He demonstrates all, all authority in his teaching, all authority over demons. He even speaks the word, and they come out like that. What amazing authority. And I want to tell you people, unless you have actually seen someone demonized, you may just kind of laugh something like, it is so real. Thirdly, we saw that Jesus has all authority with regard to disease and sickness. And he heals his mother-in-law, and there's a whole crowd outside Peter's door, front doorstep, gathered around, knocking on his door, come on, can Jesus come out and heal? And so Jesus heals all of them, casts out demons. And so we see that Jesus is, has all authority to do these things, and yet it is, so e- <laughs> it is so easy for us to miss that. Today, I want us to focus on this thing that kind of stands out about Jesus that is so different. It's unexpected. You, you don't expect him to do what he does. Are you ready? So we're, we're, we're right there, right? Mark chapter two, verse one. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. So remember, Peter's house is in Capernaum. Jesus apparently has taken up residency there so that when he travels about and comes home, he comes back to Capernaum and camps out at Peter's house. Apparently, it's Peter and Andrew's house Peter, of course, is married. His mother-in-law, it seems, lives with him, and he's helping care for her in her older age. And Jesus is living. There's a lot of people living in this house right now. It's kind of like the Curtis household, right? And here's Jesus, and he comes back. It says, so he's been traveling around throughout Galilee, it says in the previous chapter, and he comes and he enters Capernaum. The people, you see there, verse 1, the people heard that he had come home. That means he's in Peter's house. Keep that in mind as we read. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Underline that and actually underscore that word son. We'll come back to that. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Newsflash, church, they're right. They are right. Only God can forgive sins. What is Jesus doing? Verse 8, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, to say, 
to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He has all authority in teaching, all authority over demons, all authority over sickness, all authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out. (coughs) Excuse me. He went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the Pharisees of the law who were, excuse me, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here we see Jesus. He has come back to Capernaum. His fame has been growing. Now, the last time he was in Capernaum, remember Peter's house, there's a whole line of people outside his door wanting to be healed, having demons cast out and such. His popularity has grown. So now when he comes back, people want to listen to him. We learn that there are actually Pharisees, teachers of the law that have come in. If you read Luke's account, Luke actually focuses on that. It says Pharisees and teachers of the law of the Pharisees were all sitting around Jesus. They were like front row seat, special guests, right up there listening to Jesus. Others come in. This is a teaching moment, right? And as they're coming in, the root, the house is filled. I can only imagine Peter or, or, you know, Peter turning to his wife and saying, you know, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I had no idea so many people would be coming. Jesus said that he wanted to talk to a few people and they're all gathered here. And there's so many people there that they're, they're all crunched in there like sardines. And it's now spilling out the front door, spilling out the front door. So many people gathered around outside, maybe peering through the window, wanting to hear what Jesus is saying. This is a teaching moment. But along comes four guys carrying a paralytic. He is laying on a stretcher, if you will. It's, you know, two bars. There are four people, two in the front, two in the back, carrying him. And they approach the group of people. Now, (laughs) Luke says it this way, that they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. Now, to do that back then, they generally would actually use the roof as a place for entertainment. It wasn't, you know, the the lower section, it was all compartmentalized into different types of rooms. But the roof, that was much larger. You could have a lot of people, generally what they call a parapet or a little small fence around so no one would fall off. Nice, safe place, wonderful place to have a a banquet, a party, a lot of people, a lot of guests. And the stairway would go up 
the side of the house. So here they go. They take their, their, their friend, a paralytic, and they are beginning to interrupt a teaching moment of Jesus so that this paralytic would be able to be healed. Now, I want you to picture in your mind them approaching the crowd, and they're trying to, you know, excuse me, can you make way? Make way. And they turn around. Why? This is, this is the time for Jesus to teach. You know, come back another time. You know, why would we make way for you? I mean, then we're not going to be able to. You're, you're going to push us out of the way so that you can go to the front. You know, I thought I was getting here early, and the Pharisees got the front row seats, and I'm actually standing outside. So, you know, I'm looking at my needs here, and I'm looking at your needs, and you know what? I don't think we're going to make room. So can you see this? They are not making room for the paralytic to be brought in. After all, this is a teaching moment. So they make a decision. The friends, you know what? We're not giving up. We're going to find a way, they saying to their friend, to get you to Jesus. And so there they are. They're carrying them up the stairs, right? They come up to the roof. And they imagine, okay, now do you remember where Jesus was about in the downstairs? Maybe they have a little discussion. I think he was, no, I think he was a little bit over this way. Okay, they finally decide where he's at, and they make a hole right there in front of him. And I want you to imagine how big this hole is. Because in order to lower their friend, I imagine they brought rope along or something. Maybe they find it. I don't know. But they have to lower him on rope. To do this, though, the stretcher is going to be about yay wide. They're going to dig a hole about two feet wide through the roof and at least six feet long. Now, I want you to imagine, homeowners, someone doing that to your roof. Now, they're not pulling off all of these asphalt tiles and whatever kind of roofing you've got. A little bit different back then with sticks and mud and and such. And there there was some stone or tiling that they had to pull up, granted. But after they did this, they're digging through. And you can only imagine Jesus is teaching it every now and then looking up like, any moment now, something's happening here. And the people are, you know, what's going on? Like, what is I bet you it's that paralytic and his friends. And Peter's looking at his wife. I think it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be all right. And then suddenly dirt starts falling down in front of Jesus. And everything comes to a standstill as they lower the man right in front of Jesus on his ropes. What an entrance, right? Mark, Luke, Matthew, all of these guys who record this, nothing is said by the friends or the paralytic, the only words out of Jesus' mind are not be healed. He doesn't say that. That's what everyone's expecting, right? What's Jesus going to do now? Is he going to rebuke him? I mean, after all, this is a teaching moment, right? Here's what Jesus says. Son, your sins are forgiven. What? Remember all the Pharisees gathered around him? Only God can forgive sins. They are thinking, this guy is a heretic. This guy is a cult leader. This guy, he's really off in left field thinking he's God. Who gave him the right to forgive sins, right? And this is what they're thinking. And Jesus looks at him and he rebukes him. And he says, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or paralytic. Take your mat, get up and walk. 
which is easier. Now, the truth is we see miracles happening in the past, in the Old Testament, but we don't see man ever forgiving sins. So the answer to that question is, well, I guess healing. But Jesus wants to show them that he has the authority to forgive sins. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, Jesus then heals the man. And what does he do? Does he pull on the cord and say, okay, up, Scotty. Beam me up. Take me up. I'm done. He stands up in full view of everyone, totally healed. I can only imagine he's kind of doing one of these jumping up and down. Woo! Yes, I'm healed. I'm healed. And he takes up that big soul stretcher and he starts, what does he do? He carries it out the front door. Now, here's my question. How is it that he can carry his mat out to the front door, but he was not able to be carried in the front door? And here's why. The people gathered there in the front door, their focus was to this man in great need, you're a distraction. You apparently think that your need is so much greater than mine, and it isn't. And their focus is on themselves. I'm going to call that focus on themselves a need meter, M-E-T-E-R. And we all have a need meter. Wherever we go, you can't get rid of this. You have a need meter. You have certain needs, and it registers. You have this little meter, and it registers your needs. Some weeks, you go through some really hard times, church, and your need meter needle is like banging up against the top. It is, it's registering high. These people gathered, listening to Jesus, they had their need meter running. But when it came time for this paralytic to walk out, there was a focus shift. That shift was upon the very fact that this needy man took precedence in Jesus as the need meter, M-E-E-T-E-R. Their focus shifts. It's not upon their needs anymore. It's upon this sense of awe and glory that was just displayed in front of their, this man's sins apparently were forgiven and he was healed and now he's walking, make way. Oh yes, they're gonna make way because Jesus is the need meter. Their need meter in their heart stopped running and their focus became the need meter, Jesus, as he forgave him and as he healed him. Now, Jesus realizes that the immediate need is that this paralytic be healed. But Jesus sees a deeper need, and that need is his sins being forgiven. Now, you know this, that when sin came into this world, it broke this world. The greater need that this man has is his sins being forgiven. It is not that he's able to walk, as amazing as that would be. His greatest need was that his sins are to be forgiven, and Jesus knows this. Jesus is the need meter. <coughs> He's understanding of what people's needs are. And as he is perceiving this, 
he sees a much deeper need. Now, I don't know why, apart from the very fact that he wanted to teach these Pharisees that he had authority to forgive sins, I can only imagine that Jesus perceives a very deep need that this man and his friends, they're demonstrating such persevering faith. He looks at this young man, and what does your Bible say he calls him? Son. This is the only time in the entire, in all four Gospels, that Jesus ever calls someone son. When we go a little bit further in Mark, Jesus addresses a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. Daughter, your faith has saved you. She is the only one that Jesus ever calls daughter. Now, I want you to see something here. In that case, with the woman having an issue of blood of 12 years, she would therefore be considered unclean. For 12 years, unclean. She spent all her money. People, no doubt, in society rejected her. It was very common in that day to associate illness with, well, apparently there was some sin in your life. And I I mean, that would be true. Everyone sins, but no doubt this young woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, that means it never stopped. You get a picture now? Had experienced, I I believe she experienced so much rejection. Jesus looked at her and he looked at her faith. Her faith was not, Jesus, could you please heal me? Do you remember her? She pushed through the crowd, through those very people who tended to push her away, and she reached in and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. This man and his friends are no different. They refused to give up in view of the fact that others were not letting them in. They found a way. And I want to just tell you, some of you, you, you are, your backs are up against the wall. You're discouraged. You have been praying. Maybe it's for physical healing. Maybe it's for something else, a relationship that's broken, an issue in your home or in your business that just, it, it just, no matter what fix you put on it, it refuses to be fixed. You know what I'm talking about? And Jesus is wanting you to believe, to press in like that young woman did, like this man and his friends did, they weren't going to give up. Some of you, you've given up. But I want to challenge you, don't give up. The, the, the reason why all of this happened was because of this man's faith expressed by his four friends. We're not giving up. We're going to look to Jesus. Jesus is going to do something. And they went to drastic ends, digging a hole in a man's roof. Thank you very much. I'm sure that was expensive to repair. Probably his insurance covered it anyway. Regardless, Jesus healed this man because of his persevering faith, and they did not give up. Same, the woman, same type of pressing in, persevering faith. Daughter, he calls her. To this man, son. I want you to, I want you to see the tenderness of the heart of Jesus as their need meter. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus forgave him because he had done a sin and that's why he was paralyzed. But I will say this, that because of sin in this world, our world is broken. 
and things like paralysis and AIDS and all types of diseases, genetic and otherwise, are in this world ravaging men's and women's lives, children's lives as well. Jesus gets to the heart of all of mankind's issues, sin. And that's what he deals with. Jesus wanted them to take their eyes off of themselves and their need meter that's running and set their eyes on the need meter. Jesus takes them completely by surprise. Completely by surprise. They were expecting him to heal, and he did something very different, very radical, and he forgave the man's sins. You know, it reminds me of when Moses is on Mount Sinai. Now, when he comes down, you remember they had built the calf, and he God punished the people. Moses broke the tablets, had to go back up on the mountain to get another fresh set of tablets. While he's up there, he he's, has this conversation with God. And at the end of the conversation, Moses asks God, okay, God, I, I'm needing to lead your people into Israel. And I need to know your ways. I, I, I want to have a, a more intimate experience with you. And this is what he asked. God, show me your glory. Do you remember that? In Exodus 33, show me your glory. And God's response to him is this. I will have all of my goodness pass in front of you. Do you know what God's glory is? God's glory is the eminence, the brilliance, the the radiance of all of the perfections of God, his, his infinite holiness, his infinite love. Can you even imagine those things? His infinite righteousness and faithfulness and justice. All of these are the, the extreme perfections of who God is. And Moses just said, I, I just want to see your glory. But God says, surprises him and says, you know what? I want to show you my all my goodness. In essence, God is saying to Moses, I don't want to just show you the glow, the light. I want to show you the fire. I want to show you the very thing that creates that glory. I want to show you all my goodness. And this is what Jesus is doing. And it's unexpected. I remember when I was 16 years of age, I was two years old in the Lord. And... <laughs> Excuse me, and at that point, at 16 years of age, there was God was beginning to stir something in me that summer that wanted to walk more intimately with him. I picked up a book, Prison to Praise, by Merlin Carruthers, and I wanted what that man had discovered in this intimacy with God and what he called being filled with the Spirit. And I wanted that. And I remember praying and and at the, after the, at the end of the second night, it was probably 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, God filled me with his spirit and it was very evident in what he did at that moment in my life. I was looking for intimacy with the Lord. Well, God chose not just to give me an intimacy with him that, has, that I've been seeking to grow in all of these years, but this is what he did two months later. Something very different happened in my life. 
when I went to school, God began to so burden my heart for those people. I'm in 11th grade, right? I've known these people for many of them 11 years. I went to first grade with them. They They lived in my neighborhood or the neighborhood next to me. And as I prayed for them, I found myself many times kneeling before my bed, just weeping for these people because I loved them and and I'd known them for 11 years and I wanted them to experience this amazing thing that God had done in my life. God had chosen to heal me, to, to wash my sins away, to forgive me of all of my sins. And he had changed me two years ago and then this summer in intimacy with him. And I began, here's what I discovered is I began going to high school and I'm praying for these people. God began giving me opportunities every day, several times a day to share Christ with them. Now, up to that point, ninth and 11th grade, those last two years of following Jesus, it was a couple of times a year where I would share Christ, and now it was a couple of times a day. God had revolutionized something in my heart that sprang from that intimacy that he was birthing in me. You see, I was seeking this closer relationship with Jesus, and he was saying, Mike, I want you to see what I can do with that. And he began using me to share the gospel with the people and and getting my eyes off of my need meter and seeing my eyes fall on the need meter and sharing that need meter, Jesus the Savior with all of my friends. That was my passion. I think Jesus wants us to have our focus change. Even as Christians, it is so easy for us to have our focus on our needs. And and we all have needs. Don't get me wrong. If you don't have needs this morning, can you come talk to me afterwards? I really want to know your secret. I've been walking with the Lord for 44 years, I guess, and I still have needs. I still have needs, physical needs, spiritual needs. I still need to grow more intimately with Jesus. I still need to be able to be used by him in in greater ways. I want that. I still have needs. But the more that I'm like that crowd outside Peter's door, I'm sorry to the paralytic in his sense, but we have needs too. They're the very ones who stepped aside when Jesus the need meter said, you know what? No, I see your needs, and I want to meet those needs and have that healed man walk by them. We now move on to another story in which Jesus, or I I should say Mark's intention, is again to show us the very same thing. Do you see the new text there? Jesus calls a man by the name of Levi. You know who this is. He just goes by another name. He actually wrote the first gospel. His name is Matthew. Levi, or Matthew, is a tax collector. He's a scoundrel. He's a cheat. All tax collectors were. And he he, kind of walked with other tax collectors, talking business, talking shop. Talking about how, you know, the next best way to make an extra buck from the government and from the people to extract more than what they were supposed to be extracting from the people and collecting taxes. This was an amazing way for him to make extra money. He was corrupt. He was a sinner. 
And Jesus called him. And he walks up to him. And I don't, we don't know if he had had any other encounters with Levi, Matthew, or not. We don't know. But he is walking along, after having just taught a large crowd. Maybe some of them are following him. And as he's walking along, he says to Levi, walks up to him. Levi, made, okay, so how much do you owe? And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm here to tell you something. Follow me. Now, something happened at that moment. We don't have the whole story. But Luke tells us that Matthew, Levi left everything, right? I'm sure he took the money box, right? He had to keep that safe. But he left everything, left the booth there, walked away, kissed his business goodbye. He was going to follow Jesus. A radical shift in that man's life. Apparently, Jesus, his teaching, we don't know how much time goes by between his calling and what happens next, but Jesus had apparently so impacted this man's life, he wants to throw a party. Luke tells us that it was a banquet in honor of Jesus. Okay? Mark is simply wanting us to know the nuggets of this story. He gets just, he just jumps right at the, he, he jumps right into it. So in this party, there's tax collectors, there's sinners, in quotes, gathered there. There is Levi, the one who owns the house that he's having all of these people in. And to his knowledge, no one's breaking through the roof that night. He also has Jesus there and his disciples. And, the, and Mark tells us, and there's a lot of people who are starting to follow Jesus. Why, why are they all there? Why are they all gathered? Maybe there's a bit of speculation. I'm going to say that the tax collectors and sinners were there just to kind of hang out and have fun, you know, playing some music, maybe dancing around, whatever, but just to enjoy it and have fun. I think Jesus' disciples there were because of the free food. The Pharisees were there and their need meter was running. And the reason why we know that is because they turn to Jesus' disciples and they say, what on earth is Jesus doing eating with Pharisees? Doesn't he know that their spiritual condition could spiritually contaminate him? What about the man's reputation? See, the Pharisees, all they were concerned was about reputation, was about men's applause. Wow, what a great guy. Look at how much you fast. Look at how much you give to the Lord. Look, at how, look how righteous you show yourself to be. They were all about pretense and all about show and all about look at me and all about their own reputation. See, their need meter is running. And Jesus, and so they, when they ask Jesus' disciples, not Jesus, but Jesus' disciples, why does Jesus, or why do you guys, it's in the plural, why do you guys eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus apparently overhears it, and he doesn't allow his disciples to answer. He jumps right in. And he says, oh, oh you know what? No, hey, hey, guys, I got, I got an answer here for you. Here's why we do this. Here's why I do this. He says, you know what? Someone who is healthy does not need a doctor, but only someone who's sick. Now, Jesus is creating two categories here, okay? He's got the ones who are healthy over here, 
and he's got another group of people. They're the sick ones. You see, the doctor, when he comes, he doesn't come over to the healthy ones, you know, and kind of take his little thingy and hit their knees and make sure their reflexes are okay and take their blood, te- take their blood and temperatures and all of these. And, okay, wow, guess what? You're healthy. Well, we already knew that. What does he do? He goes to those who are in need. That's what the doctor does. He goes to those who are in need. Jesus now brings a full circle, you see? We have another, that's an illustration. There's another group. They're the righteous. And on the other hand, we have the sinners and the tax collectors and, okay, the filth and the scum of the earth. Those are those over here. Newsflash. The people in this group, Isaiah says to them, your righteousness, all of your righteousness They're like filthy rags. In the Hebrew, the literal translation is menstrual cloths. That's what you're right to to God. That's what all of their self-righteous acts are like. Paul tells us in Romans 3, he says, there is no one who is righteous. So when Jesus creates these two categories, the righteous category And the sinner, tax collector, scum of the earth group, he in essence is saying there is no one in this group. And guess what, guys? You're all in this group. You're all broken. You're all in such tremendous need, whether you see it or not. And in essence, he's saying to the Pharisees, so which group do you think you're in? Because I came to bring healing and forgiveness and salvation to this group here. I didn't come to that group. Jesus came to this earth with a purpose. He is called the friend of sinners. He is the friend of the scum of the earth. Excuse me, but that's you and me. That's you and me. Come on. The scum of the earth. I don't mean to be impolite to you, but there is a newsflash here that you're in this, you were in this group over here. It's just that now instead of being called a sinner, you're called a saint, not which means holy one, not because of your own holiness either. So if we even think about patting ourselves on the back, yeah, I'm not a sinner anymore, I'm a saint. Well, guess who? Who Guess whose uh, holiness you're tapping into, it ain't yours. Jesus says, when, Paul says, when we believe in Jesus, we actually are, Jesus imparts his righteousness to us. Wow. Jesus didn't come to save those who think they're in this category because nobody is. That is the category of self-deception. That is the category of, I see only my needs, and their need meter is running. All about reputation. Over here, we have the tax collectors, we have the sinners, and we have the Mike Curtises. That's who's over in this group. Jesus, he came to save these people. See, that's why he says to this paralytic, before he does anything, your sins are forgiven. Because that was the man's deepest need, not for him to walk, 
Though that's amazing and great, thank you, Jesus, for doing that. But his deepest need was that Jesus be a friend of sinners for him at that moment right then. Son, son, Jesus calling him, son, your sins are forgiven, washed away, never to be called account on again, gone. Church, we need, so desperately we need to have our need meter stop running and to stop focusing inward and what my needs are to in essence be saying to the paralytic, you know what? This is a teaching moment. Remember when you were in elementary school? There were those teaching moments and the, the teacher would say, okay, class, open your books and let's read such and such and make sure you take good notes. And then there was show and tell. For Jesus, a teaching moment very quickly turned into show and tell. I love show and tell, by the way. I love show and tell. Do you guys ever have show and tell? I went to a public school, okay? Show and tell? Okay, a handful of you, okay? Show and tell, I love show and tell. Jesus loved show and tell too. But to start off his show and tell, he forgave the man's sins. You got the picture? If we are ever going to show the world Jesus the Savior, the need meter of all needs, as Savior, as rescuer, as the one and only one who can forgive sins, something has to happen in here. In which when we think about sinners, let's remember that was me. And he called me out of that. Jesus called those in this group of sinners out. Luke says he, that Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Just like with Levi, he called Levi to follow him. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're like that paralytic. You are still in this group over here. You're a sinner. Maybe in your mind it's a little bit dressed up, but let's, let's kind of pull the veneer back a little bit. You're a sinner, and you need to be saved. You need to be rescued out of your sin. Sin's washed away. Walk now, as we've been talking about, in this new kingdom of God that he's preaching. That's what you need. You need to follow Jesus. He's calling you this morning out of darkness into his light. He wants to show you all of his goodness. Will you listen? Will you hear his calling to you? He will pursue you, my friends. He will not give up. He will keep calling you and calling you. He's not going to kick you to the curb. He's a friend of sinners. And he is asking you and me to have that same mindset. Stop letting your need meter run so much. And start focusing on the need meter, Jesus, the Savior himself. Some years ago, Meredith was, she was in college. And on summer break, she was a nurse's assistant, right, hun? You were a nurse's assistant during college? 
at Pembroke's General Hospital, very close to where, she, where her home was. And when she would go there, she would be doing her best. She's learning because she wants to become a nurse, learning how to be a nurse as a nurse's assistant. And she began developing friendships there. And she just made a choice in college. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to focus on all of my needs. And she had needs, just like we all do. I'm going I'm, I'm to focus my attention on the needs of others, just like Jesus did. And she began witnessing to this one nurse. This one nurse was living with her boyfriend, having sex, calling herself a Christian. And, and my wife was saying, you know what? Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, you have to forsake your past. You have to let him crucify it. You have to, as Paul says, crucify the old man. Crucify that old Jew. And you now have to say, Jesus, I want you. And I repent. And I surrender to you and to your will. I want to follow you. And my wife, she says, you know, this, for, during that summer, I just kept reaching out to her. And it was as if she would listen but not listen. And she kind of went on, life went on. She ended up marrying me, lucky guy. And years go by, and several years later, we find ourselves probably about six, seven, eight years after her witnessing to this friend. You know, we get married, we move out to Arizona, move back. I'm now in seminary, and we are paupers. We are the meager peasants, that's right. We're trying to do everything we can for me to work and, and, and go to school and meeting needs. And the, the college, the university, Regent University, has a program called King's Pantry. And it's actually located in um, the community building of our apartment complex that we're staying in. And we go there. My wife goes there, and she's standing in line. And she turns around, and there is a young lady standing behind her. And as they talk, you know, she looks familiar. She's talking with her. And it ends up that this lady behind her was the very woman that she spoke with in college who was a nurse. And Meredith was calling her, trying to call her out of darkness to follow Jesus. And she said, Meredith, I listened to you that summer. And God got a hold of my life. And she said to Meredith, I want you to know that the words that you showed in showing me Jesus, that changed my life forever. Forever. My wife made a choice. She was not going to have her need me to run in, to focus on all of her needs, like we all have, but she was going to focus on the needs of others. And show everybody she could come in contact with, Jesus, the need leader. The one who forgives sins, and yes, the one who heals. Church, if this kingdom that we're a part of is ever going to meet the needs of this world, we have to point all of them to Jesus. We have to show Jesus to this group of people that he came to rescue. You have to show them these sinners lost in their sin, addicted to their sin, that their need, their real need is Jesus, the forgiver of sins. That's who we need to show. Something I think may need to change in here for that to happen. Can you stand with me? I 
want to close in prayer. And, 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 and if you want to stand or if you want to kneel, whatever you feel that you need to do, I understand that this morning, more than likely, you are in need. And some of you, you're in desperate need. And Jesus wants to deal with that need, forgive sin, whatever it is. But Jesus wants your eyes to shift away from yourself to other people around you. That you show them, Jesus, the need meter. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, Jesus purposefully and very intentionally came to this dinner party to meet people's needs. Jesus came to save and rescue lost sinners. That's why he went. Father, wherever we go in this world, whether it's school or whether it's work, whether it's the marketplace to purchase something from Walmart, God, I pray that we would go to meet needs wherever we are at. Father, whatever you need to change in here, Father, honestly, maybe we just need to be rescued first ourselves. Do that, God. Please meet this need so that my focus can now be on the needs of others. Far be it from us that we would be like those outside Peter's door turning away the paralytic but that we would be like Jesus welcoming them because we see their needs. Father, whatever you need to change in this heart of mine so that my focus is like Jesus, would you do that? Help me, God. Heal me, God. Change me, God. That my heart would be impassioned with this single vision to show the world Jesus. Please, God, as we do this, Lord, would you rescue so many who are lost without Jesus, addicted to their sin? Would you rescue them? Would you bring to that point of decision where they choose to follow you? Would they be able to experience that new life in Christ like we have? Please, God, whatever you need to do in my heart, do it. So that's my focus. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray.